0: Before we turn to god's word let's ask the lord's blessing and help this morning shall we our father we thank you for the scriptures that are the bread of heaven for us to feed on and we just ask that this morning the holy spirit would be given to us to understand them and take them and apply them to our lives today we we thank you for this living truth we pray that everything we look at would point us to christ and we pray that your holy spirit would move us to put our faith in him and to live in that light. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, please would you turn with me in your Bible this morning to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, where we're looking at verses 1 to 9, and the story of the Tower of Babel, and I mean by that a true story, and uh, Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Uh, I know we 've got some friends in the fellowship who 've been to Australia recently, and uh, in New South Wales, there is a, a town or there was a town by the name of Adamby. Uh, I think that 's how you pronounce that adam 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 in and uh, This town was a a town of about 100 houses and it had a, a rural community, farming community and so on. But uh, the area they lived in, 1957, was destined to be flooded and to be turned into a massive lake. It's, it, I mean, it seems strange talking about it, but it's a part of the Snowy Mountains uh, Reserve in uh, Australia. That's what they call it. And uh, the lake was—they uh, f- flooded the whole area. The whole town was flooded, and the people were relocated uh, to new houses further back, out of out of the way. And Lake Eucumbine uh, was the new name for the resort. Well, in 2007, in February, the area hit such a drought and such a water shortage that the water went down and down and down on the lake, so much so that the original houses and the original old ho- uh, town of Adaminabe became uh, apparent again and they could see it rising out of the water coming back and people now go and see the ruins of this once flooded city it's a little picture really of what is going to happen in the future with a place called babylon Way back at the beginning of the Bible, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. And when I say story, I mean a true story. Uh, I have to emphasize that because I have here up in the lectern today a photocopy of some notes, some Bible devotional notes called Daily Bread, where they call it a parable. It is not a parable. It is true Bible history. And I would just say, be careful what Bible notes you use. It's not our daily bread. It's daily bread, the scripture union ones. They go back a few years, but uh, they call that a parable. And that's how many people think of it, even in Christian circles. Well, it's a true story. But what happened was it was the founding of a city called Babel, which later became known as Babylon, And this city uh, is the the place of the beginning of one world government. And uh, it's something which is a a big deal at the beginning in the book of Genesis. It takes place after the flood, after the days of Noah. And uh, it's a, a, a big deal in the book of Genesis. But here's the thing. Later on in the Bible, we find the city of Babylon coming back up. We're seeing this story today that God judged Babel but it keeps emerging and coming back up a little bit like I always think it's a little bit like the Loch Ness Monster. You know those characteristic pictures you see of Nessie and she's got a, a hump coming out of the water and a tail some place further later coming out of the water. Well that's how I think of Babel and Babylon in the Bible. Uh, she appears in Genesis in chapter 11 but then after God's judgment you don't hear any more of it until later on almost towards the middle of the bible when the jewish people in the 600s before christ go into exile they go into captivity when nebuchadnezzar the king of babylon comes and takes them away and uh, the books of daniel and ezekiel and so on are written during this period and they feature daniel in babylon it became a a massive world empire uh, rising again from the, the past in the book of Genesis. But God, again, judged Babylon then in those days and brought in another empire afterwards, the Medo-Persian Empire. And then you don't hear of Babylon again until the other end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And in the last days, the book of Revelation reveals that Babylon is actually going to come back again in the future Towards the back of your Bible in Revelation 17 and 18, you have two chapters that deal with Babylon. The first one, chapter 17, deals with Babylon in a religious form called Mystery Babylon. But the second one is a real city called Babylon the Great, and it becomes a real location. Again in the world in the last days. And uh, this is a a big deal for Christians to understand. Like that sunken city is going to emerge again and again in scripture. And it's going to emerge again in the days that we are uh, approaching in the last days. And therefore as Christians today we need to really come to grips with this matter of Babylon and Babel. Uh, Babylon is not what preachers do it is a real place it's a real thing and it's something that is going to affect your Bible knowledge and it's going to affect the world we live in one day now that may not be in our lifetime but the spirit of Babylon is in the world today as we'll see in this sermon and that is affecting the world we live in today but it is going to come one day and we need to be informed about it and uh, i want us to look this morning at the story of the rise of babylon under four headings i want us to see the dictator of babylon the defiance of babylon the design of babylon and the destruction of babylon and it will help us with bible knowledge at both ends of the scriptures first of all then the dictator of babylon because you see The story of Babel does not begin actually in chapter 11, but it begins in the previous chapter, chapter 10. And in chapter 10, we find that Babylon, or Babel was the brainchild of a man called Nimrod. Now, that's not just here in Genesis 10 that we find this out, but we see it also in other places in Scripture. In Micah chapter 5, verse 6, Babylonia is called the land of Nimrod. And uh, here in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, we read the story of how it came about. It says, Cush was the father of Nimrod now I want to say by the way chapter 10 of Genesis is what we call the table of the nations and by that we don't mean a a table with with four legs we mean a, a table like a chart and what it is, it's, it's the plan of how the nations came from Noah's family. After Noah came out of the ark, his three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, all had families and their families had families. And these led to the, the great number of people who are in the earth today. This is the the family tree of each of the nations, back through each of the sons of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And in the line of Ham, uh, which was the wicked son, you remember, at the end of chapter 9, we read the story of the rise of Babel. And in verse 8, it says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the first centres of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad or Akkad, and calne in Shinar. From there, from that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth Er, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. And so we see that the story of Babel begins uh, with a man called Nimrod. Now, Nimrod's name uh, is an interesting name. In the original language that his name was, it meant strong or valiant. But when the the Bible was written in Hebrew, the word Nimrod means rebel. And that is actually what he is. He is a rebellious man. We're going to see why that is in a moment, because Babylon is all about rebellion against God and uh, he himself was a, a very powerful man it says there that he grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And when I was a a young teenage boy, I used to read that and think, oh, I want to grow up like Nimrod, you know, he was mighty before the Lord, you know, and as a Christian, I wanted to be mighty, mighty for God before the Lord. I didn't understand what it meant actually was something bad, not something good, because what it's talking about here is a sinister thing, not a good thing. And it's very interesting that when the Bible was translated into Greek in the days of the Septuagint, as we call it, because it was written by seven, translated by seventy Jewish uh, authors, they translated this phrase like this: They said, "He was the first on earth to be a giant. He was a giant hunter before the Lord God, etc." And uh, the word that is used there I- in Hebrew is the word for a giant, a physical giant. Not a giant man as in, you know, he was like Winston Churchill, a giant in history. We're talking about a, a physical giant. They say, oh, come on, you don't believe in giants, do you? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. The Bible believes in giants. Remember the story of David and Goliath. That's not a fable, that's, that's truth. And actually, before the flood, this was a part of the demonic invasion into the world that caused the flood. Uh, The angels came down from heaven, we read in Genesis chapter 6, and they intermarried with women. And their offspring were what were called the Nephilim. And the Nephilim, it says, and there were giants in the land, Genesis 6-4. But it says, and also afterwards... So, the same strategy that Satan tried for corrupting the world and bringing evil into the world to stop the messiah coming in the first uh, time before the flood he tried again to a degree after the flood and that's why we find in the land of israel giants and you hear a lot in the book of joshua about giants in the land and you read in the book of numbers and deuteronomy about the the uh, uh, Anakites and so on and these were the giants the rephaim and so on uh, an evil race of uh, of giant gigantic people uh who were uh, uh evil people in the land like Goliath and it seems that Nimrod himself uh because of his size and stature was therefore like Goliath a mighty battle a mighty hunter and a mighty warrior uh, he could catch large animals he could defeat large animals he could uh defeat any man and so You know, like in the playground, all the boys want to be friends with the biggest lad because (laughs) he's the one with the power and he's the one who's got the influence. Everybody seemed to gather around this man called Nimrod, and he started a kingdom of cities. And we're told in verses 10 to 12, a whole list of cities uh, beginning with Babylon, which he established. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Chalnein, Shinar, and so on. And if you're wondering where that is, it's in the land of Iraq, Iran area today. Now this is a map for something else, it's a map for uh, uh, the journey of Abraham, but it was the clearest one I could find. And in this area here, you can see where Babylonia is and you can see where Nineveh and Calais is and these other cities, they were all established in this region moving out. What is really fascinating is that uh, historians and archeologists believe later on that the spread of languages moved out to these cities and these cultures in the same order that is revealed here uh, in these cities. Now, they're not doing that, saying that to support the Bible, uh, but it just happens to be uh, that this is what happened in the story as well. So it's a confirmation for me, again, that the Bible is true. But these were the cities he tried to establish, a whole host of cities, a metropolis of cities. And uh, he was building a government and an empire around himself. And he was the man who started this town, this city and this tower of Babylon. And I I want to say, friends, that how it began in the beginning is how it will come back again in the future. This is what we saw with the rise of Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon had a great builder, Nebuchadnezzar and his father. They were builders and they built up physically the city of Babylon to be the great city that you can still go to the land of Iraq and see the ruins of Babylon today. One of the things about the, uh, uh, the Gulf War was uh, a lot of the troops from our country in America when they went to uh, uh, Iraq and that they came back with photographs of, of Babylon and, and the ruins of, of Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. It's a real place and uh, nebuchadnezzar under his leadership built it up again and that's what's going to happen again in the future when we come to the last days in the, in the book of revelation it's going to be led by a man who's going to call for the rebuilding of babylon a man who the scripture calls the antichrist Now, we've been doing some sermons on the subjects of the end times since we started the year. And uh, it's my desire to carry on that just a little bit more, probably up to Easter. But this is a vital thing, therefore, for us to get that into the whole picture of what we're trying to understand about what the Bible says is going to happen in the future. And there is going to be a movement, but the movement is going to be behind a man. And the man is going to cause Babylon to come. And this is uh, the difference between the true Christ and the false Christ. The true Christ will lead you to the Bible and the book of God and the things of God. The false Christ will lead you to Babel. And he wants to build an empire in his name and in his power. And uh, we need to be aware of what the Bible says because the spirit of it is in the world today as we're going to see this is going to be satan's joystick if you think of the tower of babel the tower is like i always think of it's like a joystick if you play computer games you know joystick enables you to steer or plane you know enables you to steer where things are going make no doubt about it babylon as a system and as a tower and as a uh, 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 a city is going to come it's going to be the devil's joystick to steer the world uh in the way that he wants it to go in and and we need to be aware of, of the influences we're under you know dear friends i want to say this we need to pray as christians whose influence we come under because these things are revealed in scripture you know we all have to vote for politicians and it's likely we're going to have an election this year we need to pray who are we voting in power we need to pray for the right people to come to power we need to be careful what religious leaders we listen to because the Bible reveals there is a spiritual aspect to Babylon as well, a religious side of Babylon as well. Who are the religious people we listen to? Who are the influences upon our lives? It's because it will affect where things go in the world and where our world goes as well. Whether we're caught along in the slipstream of where the world is going in its anti-God movement. So the first thing we need to see there is the dictator of Babylon. Let's move then to the second thing, which is the defiance of Babylon in Genesis chapter 11. And this is where the story begins in this chapter. In verse 1, it says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And this was the state of the world after the flood uh, and had been since the creation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden there was one language for the whole world the hebrew here is it literally means they were all of one lip they all spoke the same tongue now people have tried to work out which language it is my guess is it's hebrew the reason i believe that is in the book of genesis and in this chapter and in chapter before it all the wordplay only works in hebrew and the wordplay of the names like nimrod uh, means rebel it all only makes sense in Hebrew so that's my guess it, but nobody knows for sure and can argue it beyond that which language it is but what we know is there was one language uh, for the whole world and there was a common speech so you could go to any country you wanted to and you could get off the plane you go out, out of the car and you'd be able to speak their language how useful that was in those days but it says in verse 2, as men moved eastward, and this is coming away from Noah's Ark, and as the people settled and they moved and, and traveled along, it says they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Uh, Shinar, as I've already shown you, there in uh, the Middle East where Iraq was. And they found a group, uh, a place big enough there for them all to settle And this is where we see, actually, the defiance of Babylon. Because what we're getting in this stage of the story is a contradiction to what God had said for man to do. Now, you remember in the story of Noah uh, and the ark, when God brought Noah out of the ark at the right time, he told Noah and his sons to go and fill the earth and spread out over the earth and fill the earth uh, with the increase of mankind. But these people, led by a rebel leader called Nimrod, they said, oh no, we're not going to spread out. We're all going to stay together. And we're going to settle together. We're not going to spread out. And we're going to keep together as a group. And it's a defiance in their hearts uh, towards God and what God has called from them. And it's really the beginning of the one world government movement. And this is something that's in our world today. We have a globalist agenda in the world today, which is working very hard for everybody to come together. I mean, even if you think of the pop songs, uh, I mean, I'm going back to the days of Queen. But, you know, they have a song, One World, One Man, One Vision. You know, that's their thing. You know, this is what we all want. Everybody coming together all as one. And we have massive organizations uh, across the world that are, are pushing and striving towards this. We have things like the Trilateral Commission. We have uh, the... uh, uh, uh as, as Economic movement in Babylon, in uh, America. I've forgotten the name of it. Um, There's a a group uh, that meets every year at Davos, which is uh, under the leadership of a man called Klaus Schwab, which is very interesting and sets the hairs up on the back of everybody who knows about Bible prophecy. Because all the things they're talking about there are things in the Bible about the last days. And there's movements in the world that says what we need to do is to... All come together. But this is defiant against God. The reason God divided the world up was to, so, to, was to protect mankind from him ever having to judge the whole world again like he did in the days of the flood. When he had to bring the flood on the world, it destroyed everybody. But God said, I would never do, want to do that again. And so he divided the nations up. So if a nation goes astray, he judges that nation And he judges that one. But when we come together as one group like this, we're in a situation where if the world goes wrong, God's going to have to judge the whole world again. And so this is uh, the danger of this defiant movement against God. Now, I want you to see here how they proceeded with their plan. It says in verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now, it's very interesting that in this place uh, where they settled, there's not much real stone. So they couldn't have used stone for building. Instead, what they used was mud. Now, I have just read a fascinating article from an old edition of Reader's Digest uh, about mud buildings and it may surprise you to know three-quarters of the earth is covered in mud (laughs) and uh, mankind has been using it for building buildings from the earliest times in the book of genesis right up to today the the brown city you can see there is a city in yemen and they're massive buildings eight stories high made out of mud bricks but we even have them in this country. That's a farmhouse down in Devon built out of mud bricks. We have houses in, in Europe and so on uh, that are built out of mud bricks. And it's a, it, Basically what you do is you have to compact the mud. Some builders, there's two methods. One method is, is to make it just with mud and you, you square up the mud and compress it to make solid bricks. The other method is to do what the children of Israel were having to do in Egypt when they were making bricks, you remember. They had to get straw uh, and stones and put them into the brick to add a little bit more substance to it. Uh, and you square it off. And it's actually having a revival in our day because of the cost of building materials. Uh, I don't know if Sarah's a lot planning on doing any of this. But uh, building houses, again, out of mud bricks uh, now in all those houses most of them were using uh, wet mud for mortar but these people what they use for mortar is tar now that's very interesting the, the, there's two reasons for using tar first of all there's so much of it in that part of the world that's where the oil comes from isn't it uh, from the Middle East and uh, there's so much tar in the ground it, it, this bitumen this, this tar and oil is there not far below the surface for the people to draw up it's waterproofing and that's a big factor here in this it stops erosion and it protects against water now why would they be concerned about water well of course they're not far from the river euphrates but i can't help thinking in their defiance against god they know what they're doing and they don't trust god's word They remember when mankind went against God in the days of Noah, what did God do? He sent a flood. So we're going to build buildings that are waterproof, so they can't be destroyed, and this world won't be swept away. And in addition to that, it says in verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower. That reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth well we'll come back to that a little bit more in in a moment They wanted to build a city and a tower. One of the purposes of the tower potentially could have been that they wanted to get up above the water level if the water was to come down. And that's one theory on building the tower. Now, you might say to yourself, but John, this is all all just made up stories in the Bible and you're making it out like it's true. It is true. It's in the scripture. The scripture is the word of God. And archaeology also confirms this story in the Bible. Uh, In the Smithsonian Institute in America, you can see a clay tablet of Nebuchadnezzar's rebuilding of the Tower of Babel. Nebuchadnezzar knew it was true in his day, and he rebuilt the Tower of Babel in the place it was. And that's a a carving uh, based uh, on his building of it, which was assumed to be the same design as the one before it's like a ziggurat type of building as you can see there and it was a, a, a great and a, a really a, a big project for him to undertake but this is the defiance of Babylon and we need to see that this is what is happening in the world again today as well with the Babylonian movement in the world today the one world government again in the world today men are saying we're going to go our way we're going we're not, we're not going to go God's way. We're going to go our way. And we're going to reject God's laws. And we're going to make our laws. The Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman. Who says? Who says? We don't say that. We're going to make our laws. And we're going to go our way. And with everything else man loves to do, uh, they are in rebellion against God. Now, this is a daft thing to do because battling against God is never something that that ever comes off well for the people who try it. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself said in John 15 that uh, without me, you can do nothing. And Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And that's what we're going to see here in this story. But we need to understand the defiance in the movement and in the world today against the God that we serve. And we therefore need to react in a contrawise way. And instead of us being defiant and being swept along with it, we need to say, no, if the world's going that way, I'm going God's way. We need to seek the old paths where the good way is and follow the Lord's teaching. Follow his way for our lives and come back to the Bible and not fall for Babel. Third thing I want you to see here, and by the way, this is something I ought to point out as well. I meant to uh, point this out. But as a mark of the defiance, uh, the European Parliament building in Strasbourg was modelled on the famous Bruegel painting of the Tower of Babel. So the European Parliament is saying, we're going to establish Babel. And do you know what their poster was in 1997? Many tongues, one voice. And there you can see they're rebuilding the Tower of Babel. What God has said we're going to go against. And that circle of stars around the top there, European stars, have you noticed they're all upside down? That's the Pentagon symbol, the occult symbol. That's that's Baphomet, the the occultic symbol. You don't believe me that the world is defiant against God. Look it up online, just look at that. And uh, that tells you everything you need to know third we see the design of babylon in verses four to six because as i read in verse four just a moment ago it says they they came to build a city with a tower that reaches to heaven to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth now, this was the design that they wanted to establish, and their plan was to build two things, to build a city and a tower. Now, we always assume that the city and the tower were right next to each other, but actually, in the book of Isaiah, there's a verse in chapter 10, verse 9, where it says the city was built in Calais. Uh, sorry, the city was built in China and the tower was built in Calais, and that's in the Septuagint version. But being a very big area, it was all joined together under the heading of Babylon, and uh, it's it was their design to have a city and a tower together uh, as the place of their establishment. Now, in this, we can see that they saw two things were needed. For keeping man together, at least two things. Really, you've already got one, which is global government. You've got Nimrod, who was the leader of them all, a one man over in charge of everybody else. So you've got a global government there. But add to that a city and you've got commerce. And add to that the tower, which reaches to the heavens, you've got religion as well. And this is the three legged stool. One world government, one world economy, one world religion. The city and the tower are mentioned here spe- specifically, so we'll focus on those. But I want you to be aware that that is where the world is moving in the last days, towards a one world government, one world religion, and a one world economic system. Now, the city is always for trading and for, uh, for commerce, And their plan was that if we trade together, then we're likely to stay together. And this is mankind's view today as well. Uh, One of the reasons why uh, after the war they set up um, what was the League of Nations became the United Nations was to encourage trade between the nations in a hope that this would stop any more wars. Now, on the surface of it, it sounds a good thing. And who doesn't like having bananas, you know, which we don't grow in this country, uh, coming to us here today? It's a good thing. And and, and there's some things about it that I like. But when it's done in defiance against God, it's rebellion. It's rebellion. And the same with the religious aspect of it. The tower is almost certainly linked with idol worship or with uh, uh, star heaven worship. Uh, And and with the story of Nimrod being one of the giants, one of the suspicions is that they're worshipping the stars and they're trying to encourage the angels to come back down again. And they're saying, we want you would want you to come back. It's a religious thing. And if you see anything about the ziggurats in in, uh, other places around the world, and by the way, isn't it fascinating? Ziggurats are spread all over the world, whether it's Latin America, whether it's down in Africa, uh, and so on. You find them. Why? Because as we're going to see in this story, they spread out, and they took all those theories and designs with them. But they're always used for worship, and they're always used for barbaric, terrible worship as well. But this was their plan, bring it all together under those three headings. So again, this is the design you and I need to be aware of and be on guard against. The devil's plan is to try and use the wrong things to unite the world. He said, but John, surely the world does need to come together, doesn't it? Well, one day it will do. It will come together when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And then you will have a one world government, which is God's one world government. It'll be Christ and his rule. Then you'll have one world religion. It'll be Christ and his word. It'll be Christianity. Then you'll have one world government and economics. It'll be the world flowing under the leadership of the Lord Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 tells us this is God's plan. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head Even Christ. This is God's plan. And we must wait patiently for God's timing for that to come about. Rather than try and force things that are against God in their very spirit and move. So that's the design. Finally I want to see the destruction of Babylon in verses 7 to 9. Sorry I keep forgetting half my points. I'm so sorry. About this commerce and religion. It's coming back in. This is why, in the last book of ba- in the Bible, in Revelation, you have two chapters deal with rev- religion and economy. Revelation seventeen and eighteen under Babylon. That's important for me to get across. Finally, the destruction of Babylon in verses uh, verse seven through to nine. It says, "Come, let us go down and confuse." Sorry, verse six. It should be. Verse 5, it should be. Sorry, I've got my points wrong. Verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. Now, I love this because there's a touch of sarcasm here in the Bible. They're building a tower that reaches to the heavens, but God who's in heaven says... Let us go down. (laughs) You know, they're nowhere near reaching up to heaven. They're also, the Lord uses the same language that they use in the fact that they kept saying in verse 3 and verse uh, 4, Come, let us, come, let us. And this is what the Lord is going to say. The Lord said if... Uh, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. Verse 6, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God knows that when man is united like that, the potential for evil is very great. And that's why he's going to stop it. Verse 7, come let us go down and confuse their language So that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there. Over all the earth. And they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You know uh, in A few years back in the Tate Modern up in London, there was an artist who built one of the few things of modern art that I could really think that was amazing. And what he built was, he built a tower out of transistor radios. And each radio was tuned to a different station and each one was blaring out. Now, can you imagine what that sounded like? And guess what it was called? The Tower of Babel. That guy got it. Because that's what God did when he divided the nations up again. He confused their language. Now, God had said he wasn't going to flood the world, so he used a non lethal way of dealing with this. Bring in multiplicity of languages. Now, this is fascinating because we have thousands of languages in the world today. But those who study language uh, know that they. They have, Despite their efforts, they have not been able to trace their language back to one language. They, the evolution would say, well, you know, each language developed as each group moved into a different place of the world and then they developed their own world, their own language and their own way of talking. That's what evolution would say. But this doesn't fit the evolutionary model. The only model that fits what we have in the world today is the biblical one of the Tower of Babel that God created all these languages in an instant among all the people groups who were there. And God imposed it on all of them so that they carried away. And basically what happened was, as soon as they stopped speaking the same language as their neighbor, one would turn to the other and say, pass me a brick. And he would go, what? What did you say? And, And another one would say, well, what did you just say? and suddenly everybody was talking a different language and you know what happens when you're in a situation like that people get frightened something weird and spooky has just happened everybody is talking gobbledygook and suddenly they would find somebody else who talks English and they would say oh wonderful or French or whatever it was and they would say oh wonderful someone else everyone else has gone mad and other people would join them who spoke the same language. And you know what they would do? They would move away, spread out. Let's get away from all these nutters. It was a frightening situation. And by that means, God spread the people over the earth. And the languages were formed. That's how God destroyed Babylon. And the whole world was scattered Uh, from that place and that's why the name Babel was given to it in scripture the word Babel means confusion and God confused their tongues even in the book of Acts they say about Paul let's hear what this babbler is trying to say you know it's the word Babel confusion of tongues and uh, I feel a bit of a babble this morning and I'm sorry I haven't been so clear at points but the point is this God judged it God came down and God judged it And that is the pattern for the future again as well. Every anti-God system, every anti-Christ system will one day fall under the hammer of God's judgment. And this will happen again with the movement that's anti-God in our world. And the closing chapters of the book of Revelation deal with the fall of Babylon. And the angels will fly across the whole world shouting out, Fallen is Babylon the Great. Fallen is Babylon the Great as God brings his judgment on the anti-God, anti-Christ system uh, that's going to come. So that's uh, the the, the victory note for us, the destruction of this anti-God movement. So I just want to lay this challenge before you today, dear friends. Are you for Babel or are you for the Bible? Which are you going to follow? Whose side are you on? Are you going to go God's way or are you going to go man's defiant way? You know, if you're going to go God's way, you've got to make a decision. And that means you've got to come to him first of all, asking him to forgive your sins, get right with him, and then follow his word in the Bible. If you've never done that, I urge you to do that today and put your trust in Jesus Christ. But the judgment that came on Babylon before will come again one day in the future because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. Praise his name. Amen. Let's sing uh, our final hymn to this morning, shall we? Ye servants of God, your master, proclaim. And uh, this is the message we want to share.
1: of Jesus extol, his kingdom is glorious and rules over all, God ruleth on high, almighty to save, and still he is nigh, his presence we have. The great congregation his triumph shall sing Ascribing salvation to Jesus our King Salvation to God who sits on the throne Let all cry aloud and honour the Son The praises of Jesus the angels proclaim. Fall down on their faces and worship the Lamb. Then let us adore and give Him His right. All glory and power, all wisdom and might. All honour and blessing with angels above, and thanks never ceasing, and in finite love.
0: Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. God bless.